Yeah, mostly we're trying to be available, you know, when our members need us, when they want us, and uh, be able to kind of speak to them at that time. You're listening to Leaders in Lending from Upstart, a podcast dedicated to helping consumer lenders grow their programs and improve their product offerings. Each week, here decision makers in the finance industry offer insights into the future of the lending industry, best practices around digital transformation, and more. Let's get into the show. Welcome to Leaders in Lending. I'm your host, Jeff Keltner. This week's conversation is with Chad Van Handel, the Chief Lending Officer of Unison Credit Union. Uh, Chad and I delve into uh, their plans around building more personalized marketing and how they can really extend the high-touch nature of in-person interactions into the digital world, why they've begun investing in more kinds of business lending outside of the more traditional consumer focus on consumer lending, and why that's, they think, a really great strategy in terms of diversifying their income streams, and a few of the other initiatives Chad has led around uh, really how they're putting excess deposits to work with, again, one of those emerging themes around excess deposits and way to put them to work quickly. I think it's a pretty interesting conversation continuing on our theme of talking to some credit unions. And Chad has maybe the boldest of bold predictions. I'd love for you to listen to the end and see if you agree or disagree with his take, but it's uh, it's nothing if not bold. So please enjoy the conversation. Chad, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I've been looking forward to this conversation. So you and I were talking in advance and you hit on one of these areas that you guys have focused on that I feel like is underinvested in by a lot of the financial institutions I talk to, uh, specifically the personalization of marketing. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd love to dive into like, you know, what what you're doing in that space and kind of your journey trying to get from maybe where you started and why you felt like that was an important thing to invest in. Sure. Yeah. So, so I had worked at most of my career has been at bigger, larger uh, organizations, and they had this, you know, the the, the, the CRM that was out there, um, and so they had the CRM. They also had uh, some working automation that was tied to it, and it made the selling just just that much easier for for me. It, it you know brought leads into my my inbox. It, it allowed me to to sell more effectively versus cold calls, there was a lot more warm calls. And so coming to a small organization, I, you know, I, I really saw that, that we could kind of utilize that, we could make our time more, more effective, more, um, you know, just, just more efficient by being able to, to increase the marketing automation. And, and historically, we had worked with an agency, we had paid a, a large amount of money to the agency, and, you know, they'd give us back some reports, but, you know, it wasn't always great reports, we didn't know if the marketing was hitting the, the target or not. And, uh, and so we, we pulled it in house, and we've been, uh, we've been on that journey now for the last two, two years. Wow. How do you think about the investments you have to make to go from an agency model where, you know, a lot of the process, the technology, the people is kind of outsourced, right? It's not, it's not yours. And then you got to build some of that capability in-house. Yep. How do you think about where those, you know, where the investments are? And if anybody just assume somebody that is listening here is going, Hey, we got an agency. We're thinking about going in-house. Like what's your mm-hmm. advice for what you need to do to get that transition right and, and set yourself up for success running that stuff internally? Sure. I mean, I think a lot of the, uh, the tech companies out there have made it easy from an analytics standpoint. I mean, mm. you can build that that muscle internally these days to, to be able to look at your analytics, see what kind of tracking is going to your website and, and what that all means. And then beyond that, there's there's a lot of other you know companies that are out there all across the spectrum. You know, you can pay a lot of money or you can pay a little bit of money, but all of them have, uh, you know, some capabilities where you can you can do it in house, and you, you don't have to, to to have somebody outside or pay somebody outside to do it. 
Interesting. And were there like staffing particular kinds of roles you were looking to bring on? Like what was that kind of like the people side of the investment that, that made the most sense to you? Yeah, we have, uh, you know, we had a VP of marketing that we added uh, in the last two years that, that's kind of helped with that. And she's also had some additional staff to be able to make sure we're going into the, the marketing automation and mm -hmm. be able to see the tracking and that we're, we're getting the use out of all the stuff that's coming in throughout the, the machine, uh, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now I'm curious how you think about I mean, I, one of the things I learned as I got into the, the financial industry space was that the business model really revolves around multiple transactions per customer. The cost right. to acquire usually doesn't make sense for a singular product. Maybe it does, but it's not super profitable. Um, but you want that customer coming back. And so figuring out, I think a lot of the history of how we did that was the branch, the relationship. People came in, they needed something, they had a relationship. And I feel like that's shifting now where people are browsing the web, they're doing other things. And so that that proactive outreach, you think of the, you know, moving from kind of a sales and branch, my, my employees know how to talk to somebody about the right product. That's how I get them to transact. Now I got to figure out when somebody needs a product, what the right message is, how I hit them, what the right medium. How do you think about how you build a strategy to really get that right offer in front of that right customer at the right moment so that the marketing is effective and, and not kind of, to, you know, I think we're talking earlier, people often like unsubscribing. How do you make it relevant, timely? What are the kind of secrets you have in that front? Because it feels like that's a huge part of what you have to get right to make this successful. Right. But it seems like a pretty big challenge to actually be able to execute that effectively. Yeah, so so we're definitely not experts and we're, we're, we're on the journey right now trying to figure out what is that uh, right way to connect with that right member at the right time when, when they want that right product. Yeah, mostly we're trying to be uh, available, you know, when our members need us, when they want us and uh, be able to kind of speak to them at that time, trying to build omni-channels that we can, we can have them go to the web and, and, and put in a loan app, uh, you know, at 10 o'clock at night if, if that's what they want to do when that need arises. Be able to, again, transact on their time is really important for us. So, you know, as we kind of work our marketing, as we kind of tweak things and, and try to provide good resources to our, our members and prospective members, uh, utilizing kind of the data that comes in, who's clicking on what, you know, what are they clicking on and where do they go from there? Uh, and then just continuing to kind of build that institutional knowledge of, of what we've seen, what these patterns are that we've seen, and, and how can we utilize that going forward with our with our marketing spend? Are there any particular patterns that you've seen that stick out to you? I mean, it seems like one of the questions, like when somebody's in market for certain kinds of products, feels like an interesting question for how you try mm -hmm. and identify. But I'm curious if you've found any patterns in the data that are maybe they are intuitive. Sometimes the best patterns are like they they make sense in retrospect, but then you didn't predict them right. <laughs> looking at it in advance. But are there are there things that stick out to you that are interesting uh, kind of patterns you've identified in that work so far? Yeah, I, I wish. I I could say that there are at this point. Again, I think we're still a little bit too early. I mean, I think the only pattern we've seen is that there's no pattern, basically. Uh, I mean, we have members that have been with us for a very long time that, you know, we, we, we've been doing mortgages for, for the last couple of years and, uh, and didn't know we did it. And although we've had a bunch of newsletters and we've had banners that have kind of been out saying that we do some of this stuff. I, I think one of the things that, that's very interesting, we do a poll on our on our marketing newsletter and, and just the engagement we're getting with that poll is, is very interesting. So it's okay. So people, you know, like, like interacting here, how can we, how can we make it a little bit more wellness based or, um, you know, financial education based so that, that they're interacting with, with that content as well. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I do think the, the newsletter is an interesting concept. I'd be curious the history and, and how you think about that. Cause I, I do think a lot of times digital marketing for or outreach for many institutions is kind of like we put it on the website. Mm -hmm. and I think so often people come to the website to do something and they don't really want to engage with content or thought like, like I came to pay a bill to 
to apply for a loan, to transfer some money from here to there. And I don't, I want to do something else. I want to, yeah. I want the shortest path between A and B. Uh, but then we're trying to inject that kind of educational content. And the newsletter feels like an interesting, mm-hmm. you know, it's not the, I came to the site to do something and I, we put a link up here, you know, here's how to do better retirement planning or whatever, but it's kind of in the middle. So tell me a little bit about the, the history of the newsletter and how you think about how, the, the role that fills in your customer journey. Sure. I mean, as a community-based organization, we're, we're trying to, to interact with our community at all times. And, mm. you know, we, we, again, we don't know where our members want to interact with us. And certainly this newsletter, we had some email addresses. We had people that were opting into, you know, receiving communications from us. And, and so it just kind of, you know, moved from there. And, and then it's also kind of moved to a point where we're asking for that email address, asking for that, that permission to, to provide in that newsletter and keep them up on, on what the credit union's doing and try to share a little bit of personal side about the credit union, but then also make sure we can provide some wellness and education to them as well. I like it. And, and I do, you know, I, I, in a perfect world, I would love to see our, our website be a place where we could house resources, where, you know, where people spend time, where it's, Obviously, we're not going to be a social media network on our website, but to be able to engage people and and, um, and, and build that, I think, would be a you know a great end game at some point. Because again, I, I think you can keep people on there. It can be a little bit stickier, but it is going to take a lot of investment to do that. Yeah, my sense is you absolutely can do that. The challenge mm-hmm. is if you think they're going to organically show up at the site mm-hmm. for that, you're wrong. So it's I think it's a question of how do you have the right content and information that's engaging, but also how do you let them know and bring them to that content or surface it to them in that moment at that time when it's relevant in a way that's not pushing because they're not like they're not randomly browsing <laughs> your site right. going, hey i got some reading time like that's yeah. you know, so i think that's the that's where i think that personalized marketing becomes so interesting because it's like if mm-hmm. i have the resource i've now got to i've got to get the resources in front of the person and the website's a great place to house them but i got to get them there yeah. uh, and, and i've got to do that probably on a repeat basis in a timely manner and that's where i think that that personalized marketing is a really interesting strategy and one I'd love to see really well invested in by many mm-hmm. FIs. I think there's a ton of opportunity to drive value for your customer when you can do that. But there's so many resources that are just sitting there like hanging on the side of the website and nobody nobody goes there. Or, you know, we had a blog for a while that we used. And you'd post it and you'd advertise it on social media and it would be really big for a while. And then it would just like not be anymore. Yep. And so how you highlight the right content to the right customer in the moment, that's, I think that the magic of that is not that where does it live, but how do you, how do you surface it um, when they're not necessarily like browsing around looking? I think we have to find, you know, you have to find that niche and, and then kind of build, build the base from there, kind of get that core group of, of followers. And then, you know, then kind of build from there is, is one of the ways to do it. I mean, we're going to certainly take some failures along the way. I mean, we tried to do some seminars and in-person things and, and webinars that just, didn't get a lot of buy-in from people as much as we've got 18,000 members, you know, and, and we're trying to blast it all over different channels. Mm-hmm. But people just weren't, they weren't biting on, you know, what we we're selling or, or the, the tagline just wasn't, you know, wasn't sticky enough for them to want to, you know, register and, and show up for something like that. Now, I, I want to dive into something else because you kind of like, you know, if I, if my intuition of banking uh, has been built around banks, you kind of flipped the the, the, the story on me in, in our conversation earlier, which is, I think, Many traditional financial institutions and many banks are kind of very consumer or sorry, commercial real estate, commercial lending focused and have like this consumer business that's mostly mortgages and then some stuff, but very small outside of that. But many credit unions are kind of reversed and you guys made a choice to kind of add more business lending to the mix as a diversification. So I, I hear about a lot about consumer lending being 
the bank's diversification strategy. For you guys, business lending was like an income diversification strategy, which was kind of a different perspective that it was interesting. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about your journey to decide, hey, we want to get into a little bit more business lending and the kinds of things you're doing there. Sure. Yeah, so so the decision does actually predate my time with Unison. I've been here two years, but, but three years ago, they really um, decided they wanted to diversify their revenue stream away from just kind of the consumer and retail and, and, and venture into this business lending space. And so I, you know, between kind of that first six months after they launched it, I was at a bigger bank that was being acquired. Actually, they were selling the branches to a, to a local local uh, bank. And it was a good breaking point for me to, to kind of look for something else. And I actually grew up in the town, you know, 10 minutes away, or not even 10, probably five minutes away from our headquarters here uh, in uh, Northeastern Wisconsin uh, for Unison. And um, it was just a perfect fit for me to kind of come back and do that community banking. And uh, as we looked at, you know, where can we play in this business lending space, it, really the, the rental property investing uh, was, was a place that jumped out. I mean, we understand real estate, we understand mortgages, you know, this is just kind of taking it to the next step. And, and, and people that have W-2 jobs or are looking to just build that that separate passive income stream it, yeah. it's a good it's a good move for somebody to kind of you know look at buying a property and, and kind of jump it into land learning at some point so how do you think about you know getting the institution ready to to underwrite and understand mm -hmm. the kind of risk because my understanding is this kind of loan because you're you're relying somewhat on the the income stream from the rental to to afford the payment it, it's underwritten quite differently than like a traditional mortgage where you're looking at the w2 going you know can the income pay the bill and here it's kind of like can the rental income pay the bill so it, it, it's pretty different i'm curious how you think about building out the capability and then also how you think about getting you know risk committees and, and other groups within the institution on board with a different look at how you underwrite risk in this way because it, it is you know, it's pretty different. And on some traditional metrics, those kind of loans can look extremely risky, right? Like, you know, I can't afford two houses at once and, and make both payments. And like most people probably can't. And so the second home looks very risky on a traditional sense from that, that perspective. So how do you think about both the building the capability to underwrite it well, and then bringing the institution along in the decision to, to accept that kind of different approach? Sure. Yeah, it's two separate situations. There's the, the first time landlord, uh, and then there's certainly the person that's got the portfolio. For someone that's a first time landlord, it, it, you know, it, it's kind of just relying on, you know, what did they do in their job history? Uh, have they used credit appropriately? Did, did the numbers make sense? Are they, they kind of, is their plan make sense? And, uh, and then, and then buying into that vision, you know, looking at the collateral, you know, seeing that they've got some money for a down payment and then, you know, helping them put the numbers together. Some of the places have, have a lot of renovations. So then also working, okay, how can we, you know, afford these renovations, whether yeah. within the project or, or do you have uh, reserves outside the project uh, to, to get these taken care of? So, th so that's, that's, that's one piece of it. Uh, obviously, credit score is another one, which... And obviously, you guys, uh, <laughs> you guys are more AI based, but uh, but certainly credit score, uh, you know, for for better or for worse, tends to be something we also tend to look at from a portfolio standpoint. There, there's also a lot of messiness with a portfolio, whether you've got repairs expense on on a specific property or you've got other types of expenses that are one time expenses. So it's it's working through the numbers, trying to understand, you know, what does this look like in a perfect world or or on a, a future 12 month basis, and then being able to kind of build build that model that uh, that can service the debt and uh, and then it's not over leveraging somebody yeah are, are there other areas of business lending that you're are looking at outside of the kind of like you know first time landlord or kind of pro, you know the i'll say the rental property yeah. kind of model which is really what we're talking about are there are there other kinds of local business lending that are intriguing to you or that you, you guys see a lot of opportunity in 
Yeah, so, so we do certainly do um, owner-occupied businesses. If they've got a piece of real estate, we'll do, um, you know, do the real estate typically is an easy type of a transaction for us. Um, we'll do some equipment uh, for those businesses. But, you know, really, I, I think, um, you know, I just see this the world because of the Internet and, and Shopify is in some of these these ways that people can sell on, online. I just think that there's um, uh, definitely a world where people can, can do a side hustle, where they can, you know, take that hobby, that woodworking hobby or something else and, and really refine that and turn that into a... A, a small secondary income stream at first and then and then build up that stream you know to, to a point where it may may kind of be their primary stream at some point yeah it's how do you think about underwriting that kind of risk mm -hmm. in investing in those businesses because it's like lots of niche businesses lots of niche mm -hmm. markets understanding the opportunity and the risks it's a pretty you know we think about this in terms of areas where the kinds of analysis we do and the, where risk is poorly understood and hard to define and and you could act, expand access if you could define it better but it feels like a pretty diverse set of risks and, and, and different set of like criteria. Is that sure. is that a manual process with just people you've got that know the industries or, or how do you think about approaching understanding risk in a context like that? Yeah, yeah, I would say early on it's it's it is HELOCs and it's some uh, consumer unsecured loans um, for, for again for people that have kind of built up that that credit profile that that makes yeah. sense. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's, it's, I think that's, that's the way that it starts. But, but then, you know, again, once you start getting a couple of years underneath your belt, there, there's certainly ways to be able to, to do that more on the business side. But yeah, I think at first is, it starts with kind of utilizing some of the personal lines of credit and uh, HELOC and things like that you have available to yourself. And then, like I said, building up, building up that business and being able to show what you can do with it. Mm -hmm. yeah, kind, of, kind of ladder up that credit utilization as you, as you, as you grow. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Kind of more traditional approach. I like it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just fascinated in this kind of like investing in the business space because it's uh, mm -hmm. I think it's something that's near and dear to us as well. And, and I think a challenging thing to do, like the small businesses are, are hard to support, but so valuable for your community when you can do it right uh, and mm -hmm. actually enable those businesses to grow and to thrive. So I know you and I were also talking in advance about maybe the most common topic. I'm, I, I kind of feel like a broken record when I talk about like, you know, cash up loan demand down, what do we do? And you know, obviously investing in business lending and, and trying to drive some demand through personalized marketing are two ways you kind of respond to, how do I drive more lending assets onto the, onto the balance sheet? How do I think about you know, improving that ratio? But mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think you guys have done some other things in the, what do we do more immediate term to, to put some of that cash to work? Can you talk me through uh, some of those? And I know sometimes the, the ways credit unions need to approach these things are different than banks. Mm -hmm. uh, so assuming not everybody is a credit union in the audience, can you, can you walk us through kind of how as a credit union you, uh, you take advantage of some of the opportunities there in the near term? Sure. Well, first to kind of lay the groundwork. So we have six branches throughout northeastern Wisconsin, Appleton to, to Green Bay, Copaco. So, so you know, we, we've just been very good at generating deposits um, in our footprint. And so even pre-2020, we were able to, to have a, a very high deposit to loan ratio. And so we've been, been working to kind of, again, Deploy those deposits uh, uh, prudently throughout the throughout the market and into loans, but uh, 2020 hits and the gap widens a little bit. So we've been kind of scrambling to try to make sure we can make those good investments that we're not sitting with all these customer deposits um, that we are putting them to work. So we have done some. Uh, we purchased some loan pools. Uh, we've done some loan participations um, on, on the MBL side, uh, member business lending side. We uh, we have also started to look at or, or we're, we're 
kind of down the path of trying to look at other channels. Um, mm -hmm. We want to make, again, making the, the, the credit union accessible to all people at all times um, that, you know, that, that they're looking to do business. We, we have gone down a, a new loan origination system that we're working on. It's going to be more of an online application. And then uh, the, the, the end state of it is to have an automated approval process that, um, you know, instantly or, or a few minutes, you get a decision, uh, hopefully, um, at, at the end of that. And then that'll take, like I said, it'll take some of that pressure off of, our team to have to underwrite those deals um, if we can get the template right. And then, uh, like I said, gets uh, that member the, the the instant approval that they want and, and they can move forward with kind of what they want to do with it. Yeah, I think that that motion too, uh, it's probably one of the other, I was asked last night in a, in, a, in a conversation with our team, like what are the themes I've gotten from the, from the podcast? And I think one of the really interesting ones is this, how do we reduce the administrative burden on our team members, our staff, our call mm -hmm. center to, to process loans, to review documents, to look at applications and move them to what we were talking about earlier. How do you give advice and, and consultation and, yeah. and allow that kind of automated decision to say, yeah, when you're ready to transact, that should be easy. But the decision of how and when and what to transact with is a more complicated thing where our team members have a lot of value to add to customers to understand the options there. So I think that moving down the path, I know it's not, it's, we always want technology projects to be like, one and done, but I find they're much more iterative and additive and, and you know, they, they come in phases in time. But I think that motion towards you know, automated decisioning is, is the right path to where you get to a good place for, to be able to kind of, you know, I, it's not like you're letting go of people, you're really helping them move up the value chain in terms of what they do with the customers and their interactions. Yeah, and we're, we're a $290 million organization. So, I mean, I think we're smaller than some of the um, other institutions you've talked with. Obviously, we don't have, uh, you know, a war chest of funds to be able to invest in technology. So, we're fortunate that the credit union service organizations that are out there that we can we can work with that can, you know, help us kind of kind of build that technology and, and, and customize it the best we can kind of within a, a parameter. It's just been, it's been great for us. And, um, yeah, helping us be able to do control growth is, is kind of the path we want to, want to go on. Can you? describe you know what a QSO is for the for the audience members that maybe you're not as familiar and then you talked about loan participations and I, I'd love you to dive a little bit into because I think that often goes hand in hand with some of the QSOs you work with uh, how those work and in why why there's value for you in, in that kind of model sure yeah so credit union service organization um, again is basically a, a bunch of credit unions that came together to invest in in a technology that that seem to make sense for, for a majority of credit unions. And, uh, and so then they've been able to build a team that can market that product or service uh, out to the, the credit unions uh, throughout the country. And yeah, we've, like I said, we, we've been able to kind of use their expertise and um, you know, see what other credit unions are doing, some of our peer credit unions in other parts of the country. And, and yeah, that's been invaluable for us to, uh, to, to build our balance sheet and build our, you know, build our capabilities. And then um, moving on to the loan participation, same thing. I mean, we, we've got a, uh, uh, a QSO actually um, uh, in, in the southern part of the state that that brings a bunch of credit unions together is able to show us some deals that they that came through their doors and then um, you know we're able to look at the list profile see if it fits with kind of where we want to go and and then be able to you know throw some money at uh, a deal to be able to help a, a business um, get some financing. Yeah, I, I love that model because it is it's so true that for for community community credit unions or community banks more community oriented institutions that are smaller like the the scale involved in implementing and deploying a technology project, frankly, just diligencing uh, technology or our partners, it can be can be daunting. It, not just the purchase, but even just the like, how do I manage? How do I get the staff to understand and, and go through the process? And so the kind of 
coming together to, to, to kind of share the expense and, and, and resource and then take advantage of the opportunities, I think is a really interesting model for community-based institutions. So I, I, something else we've been learning about, and I think it's a, it's a fascinating uh, approach, and it gives you guys the ability to diversify a little bit without having to fully invest into you know, a particular technology product area uh, up front. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else on your list that you wanted to talk about today that I forgot to ask about? No, beyond uh, beyond that, I mean, obviously the the, the fraud and cybersecurity piece is, is something that kind of keeps mm-hmm. me up at night. I mean, you know, we're we're dependent on our uh, employees to to kind of ferret out any of these potential situations, and so uh, again, any 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 cybersecurity attack could could kind of cripple us at, at some point. But we've been very fortunate that again to to. to as a small organization to really kind of have good partners that, that watch over us and then also making sure that, that our staff is also uh, keeping an eye on kind of everything that's going on out there and have protecting you any shift in threat problem. I mean, you, you brought up cybersecurity. I'm curious if mm-hmm. there been any incidents recently, not that you have to go into mm-hmm. specific stuff, but like any kind of change in threat profile or things in the, in the more immediate term that make that more top of mind. And I think we all kind of live constantly reading the news going, Oh, somebody got hacked and my credit card number mm-hmm. got out the door last week for the umpteenth time right. uh, being offered credit protection by the fifth guy this year. You know, <laughs> other than that, where I think it's kind of always, you know, on the mind to some extent, are there reasons that that comes to the top of your mind in, in the near term? Yeah, some of the uh, government stimulus um, funds have, have been a little bit cloudy. People didn't always know what you know what was coming and what was going out. So mm-hmm. I think people have kind of uh, fraudsters have used that as a way to to confuse people and, and, and trick them into doing some things that they shouldn't be doing, you know, providing account numbers or um, different information like that. Uh, same thing with the PPP funds and, and uh, like I said, just different uh, unemployment funds, just a lot of different schemes that are out there. So making sure we understand, you know, why are you requesting this wire? You know, did, did the person, did you really speak to somebody on the other end? Is it somebody yeah. you trust or is it, or is it something that, um, like I said, is, is a little bit fishy. So then we, we, we teach our employees to make sure we're asking questions and, and you know, try to really get at the heart of what they're looking to do. And that goes back to just customized approach, you know, trying to, again, differentiate ourselves and, and, and make sure they have someone they can talk to, someone they can reach to, yeah, to yeah. get those questions answered. It's a really good point that as you've got government programs trying to stimulate the economy and put, put money into circulation that like that equals an opportunity if you're a bad mm-hmm. guy and, and, and a heightened sense of risk if you're, you know, on the in the distribution chain, so to speak, where you've got to be right. careful about, you know, how you're being uh, smart about where that money goes out. Yeah, it's uh, so, certainly something we see. Uh, I mean, there's a constant, there's just a level of, you know, attack and, and some of them are quite sophisticated these days. So right. It's, it's exactly. Interesting. Well, Chad, I appreciate the, the conversation. This was great. I, I think, you know, that I, I typically end this with the same three questions. So now I mean, we've done this long enough. Most people now listen to the podcast. Right. They know these things are coming, but you know, let me, let me ask them to you. I'm curious what you have to say. So my first question is always, what's the best piece of career advice you've ever gotten? So I think the best piece of career advice I've gotten is, um, you know, you'll never regret learning a little bit about emerging technology. Mm. I just, you know, when I was uh, high school, just learning to type and learning about Microsoft Word and Excel and PowerPoint. I mean, I think just uh, being able to take a little bit of time, learn how to type, that set me apart for that first internship. I mean, I I was able to kind of Although I didn't have the experience, the work experience, you know, I, I was able to kind of work the technology and kind of talk the talk in, in some regards with that. So I just think, you know, there, there's, there's so many, uh, you know, so many courses you can find out there, free courses that you can learn about the technology that's out there. So take a little bit of time, do a, you know, do a module, try to try to teach yourself what's out there. Because like I said, you'll never regret that. And, and it'll certainly kind of help you help move your career forward. Are, are there emerging technologies now? Like if you were 22, 23, coming out of college going, hey, I want to. 
I want to figure out the emerging stuff. It's different than it was when when you were in school or I was in yeah. school or younger. What what would be on your list of top two or three things you'd want to dive into um, if you were if you were that age now? Or maybe you're still doing it even now. I still do that, but I'm curious what's on the top of your list of emerging technologies to be on top of. Well, not not really an emerging technology, but I'll tell you. I mean, it, it, a digital SLR camera. I mean, it, it's super daunting because there's a lot of buttons and, and stuff on there. But I mean, taking some time to just kind of learn how, how the camera works, and mm-hmm. um, you know, all that can be learned about learning photography. I think that's something that you know everybody should have a basic understanding of. I mean, and then move that moves on to Photoshop. I mean, Photoshop can be a very intimidating type of a, a product as well with a lot of different things. But you know, if you can learn. What's in Photoshop? There's a lot of other apps that are out there that can do some of that editing um, at, a, at a at a different pace for you. But you know, learn the nuts and bolts of a Photoshop. Take a, take a class there. You know, like I said, you can move on and, and learn uh, other types of stuff like that. So I like it. My son's interested in photography, so we've had to go through exposures and yeah. you know, focal lengths and aperture versus shutter speed. And you know, it's it's fascinating to understand the details, even if most of the time you just you know whip out your cell phone and point and click. <laughs> uh, you know, the, you can do a lot if you understand just a little bit about, about uh-huh. how things work. Yeah, Excel, Excel too. I mean, as much as, mm. you know, there's a lot of stuff out there, but there's a lot of cool things you can do Excel that have really come out just in the last, you know, five years. And as much as I learned it early on in my career, you know, a refresher on something like that would just, Again, some of the ways you can you can sort data or use data or you know extrapolate things. Like I said, I I think that's always good too. You got to know how pivot tables work. <laughs> that too. You probably got to know how pivot tables work. Yeah, yeah. And even I mean, with some of the real estate investors we work with, I mean, to, to have them get into Excel and be able to just kind of work some of their numbers, even at a basic level, like I said, that 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 helps the world for us to be able to you know yeah, yeah. have somebody explain why these numbers you know go together the way they do, and you know being able to move quicker through that than having to you know physically add things up, you know, using some of the, the calculations that are in there, like I said. Or, or I, what I see a lot is like, I, let me call our analyst team and we'll look at that and go, eh, it's, it's yeah. a spreadsheet, just do a little math. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, understanding that yourself is actually, I do think it's a pretty valuable skill. I agree. Second question, what's the best advice you've gotten about consumer lending or consumer finance? Sure. I think the best advice I've, I've gotten uh, about that is, um, you know, that, that every touch with a member customer is, is unique. And so it's easy for um, me, somebody who's done this, you know, hundreds, thousands of times, um, you know, just to, to move through the motions to get in that routine. I mean, that might be their first time experiencing Unison. That might be the first time or, or first time in a couple of years of coming into the credit union. And uh, we just need to make sure that we treat each individual uh, uniquely, customize that approach, make sure we're asking the right questions or, or, or you know, trying to help them consider things they may not be considering. Because like I said, that, that that first impression is so important. And uh, like I said, we want to, we want to get off on the best foot with those new members. Feels like if you can, if you can turn that into a digital touch to your personalized marketing, that's really, Mm -hmm. that ought to be the goal, right? right? That personalized experience one-on-one with the, the, the unique experience. Exactly. All right. My last question, what's a bold prediction for the future? I was dreading this one because there's not too many time to prepare. You you know, you're on the spot. Um, so I, I think what my bold prediction uh, is, I'm certainly somebody that's skating to where the puck is going, you know, trying to trying to stay ahead, you know, what, what fintech firms are out there. I think my bold prediction is going to be in the next 10 years, one of the top four banks is not going to exist in its present form. You know, and whether, you know, whether that, points for bold, Chad, no, yeah, whether, whether, you know, I'm not smart enough to know what that's going to mean, whether that's a technology firm acquiring, you know, a, a, one of those top for firms or uh, or someone's going to get broken apart or uh, or something like that. But I think that's a that's a bold prediction that we can 
we can see what it's going to look like in 10 years. <laughs> it is a bold prediction. I can't hold your feet to the fire for a decade uh, that you were wrong about that. But that, right. that one of the big four banks will not exist in their current form uh, in the mm -hmm. next decade. That would be it. That would be a, that's, uh, yeah, you get credit for bold. That I'm going to hedge my prediction by saying somebody else will, will nudge one of those top four maybe out. I mean, obviously, you've seen a lot of these regional bank uh, mm -hmm. consolidations that have come. So let's, that, that's my hedge is that if that's not, if that prediction doesn't work, then somebody's going to nudge one of the four, you know, out of, out of fourth position or something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to keep my eye on this one. This will be, uh, it's be interesting. Chad, thanks so much for the conversation. Yeah, thank you. Really insightful. I appreciate your making the time. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Upstart partners with banks and credit unions to help grow their consumer loan portfolios and deliver a modern, all-digital lending experience. As the average consumer becomes more digitally savvy, it only makes sense that their bank does too. Upstart's AI lending platform uses sophisticated machine learning models to more accurately identify risk and approve more applicants than traditional credit models, with fraud rates near zero. Upstart's all-digital experience reduces manual processing for banks and offers a simple and convenient experience for consumers. Whether you're looking to grow and enhance your existing personal and auto lending programs, or you're just getting started, Upstart can help. Upstart offers an end-to-end -end solution that can help you find more creditworthy borrowers within your risk profile with all digital underwriting, onboarding, loan closing, and servicing. It's all possible with Upstart in your quarter. Learn more about finding new borrowers, enhancing your credit decisioning process, and growing your business by visiting upstart.com slash four banks. That's upstart.com slash four banks. You've been listening to Leaders in Lending from Upstart. Make sure you never miss an episode. Subscribe to Leaders in Lending in your favorite podcast player. Using Apple Podcasts? Leave us a quick rating by tapping the number of stars you think the show deserves. Thanks for listening. Until next time. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests on the Leaders in Lending podcast are their own, and their participation in this podcast does not imply an endorsement of such views by their organization or themselves. The content provided is for informational purposes only, and the discussion between the host and guests should not be taken as financial advice by companies or individuals.